Remember. Remember who you are before society told you how to be. Through ritual and ceremony, my mission is to guide you on your own journey back to self, to shed limiting beliefs, societal conditioning, and outdated ancestral patterns. Through individually curated healing methodologies, I help to remind you of the greater purpose of your life. Welcome to the Return of Ritual podcast. I'm your host, Amber Winston. I'm so happy you're here. All right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Return of Ritual podcast. Today, I would like to welcome Courtney Weber to the show. Welcome, Courtney. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Amber. This is really fun. I am so excited to chat with you. I do just want to share with the listeners, you know, when I first came across Courtney's work, it was from reading her book, Bridget. And I absolutely just thoroughly enjoyed reading this book so much. She had so much great content in here around rituals. And as you know, the Return of Ritual podcast is really about discussing rituals and ceremonies and trying to bring them back into our modern day-to-day life and existence so that we can live a more sacred uh, enchanted and magical existence. So I'm so honored to have Courtney here. Let me read her bio so that you guys can get to know a little bit about her and what she's about, and then we'll just dive in. So Courtney Weber is a witch, an author, a tarot advisor, and an activist. She is the author of Bridget, History, Mystery, and Magic of the Celtic Goddess and Tarot for One, The Art of Reading for Yourself, and the forthcoming The Morrigan, Celtic goddess of magic and might, and the forthcoming Hecate, goddess of witches. She is a co-host of That Witch Life podcast and has been featured in Maxim, Playboy, Huffington Post, Vice, and the Tom Hartman Show. You can visit her online at www.courtneyaweber.com. Welcome, Courtney. Thank you, Amber. And I realized I had an error in my bio there. Um, The Morgan is available, so it is no longer forthcoming. So that is on me. Um, But just letting your listeners know if they're looking for it, they can go out and get it wherever you get your books and hopefully support your local metaphysical stores. Yes. Okay, good. I'm glad to know that we can get that today because I feel like that's next on my list. Yes. Chatting with my mentor a lot and she's been like, get your hand on anything Morgan related. And I'm like, okay, well now I know where to go. So thank you for that. Um, The first question I have is always just a fun one. I always like to know what astrology sign every guest is. So what's your astrology sign? Oh, I'm a mess. So I am, I'm just a giant mess. I am a sun sign cancer. So um, according to the Zodiac, the nurturer, the caretaker, the blah, 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 the codependent relationship person. Um, And then, but I have a Scorpio moon. Um, which is a very tough place for Scorpio to be. Um, And then I have a Libra rising. So as I've said to people, um, I definitely want to take care of everyone in the world and I want to control them all. And I also at the same time want them all to get along, but especially with me, but that's like, so it's, it's, it's tough. I've, I have talked to some astrologers and they say that, you know, the Scorpio moon is one of the most difficult Right. So, um, and that's not bragging as much as it, it does explain why, uh, why I, uh, um, I spent a lot of time in bed at two o'clock in the morning, reevaluating every life decision since I was, you know, in third grade up. So yeah, <laughs> any other Scorpio moons out there will definitely identify. 
I, I hear you. Um, I don't have a Scorpio moon, but I can only imagine that how that would be. I, I did just have an amazing astro cartography reading with an amazing guy named Moses. And he was talking all about my Mercury and Mercury's placement where I am here in San Diego was, uh, in Pisces. And he's mm-hmm. like, that is a difficult place to have your Mercury as well. But it explains why you're so interested in like the esoteric and the, and the mystical and all of that. Um, I just love talking about the Zodiac. I think we can learn so much from our signs and, you know, take it or leave it. But I think it's always a fun thing to ask. Um, Cool. So I would love to learn a little bit about you and your natural kind of rituals and ceremonies and things that you hold dear to your heart. So the next question is, could you just describe to us like what your ideal, because I know every day is different, your ideal morning or evening ritual? What are things that are bookending your day that are sacred to you? Well, I really need to get an evening ritual more in shape. My, my, um, my routine as of late has been just fill up my days until it's time to go to bed. But um, I do keep a morning ritual that has been very helpful to me and very valuable is the very first thing I do before I drink water or coffee um, is that I go outside and make an offering to the land spirits. And I don't ask for anything from the land spirits. I don't expect anything from them. I just simply give an offering. And um, as we talked about, I live in Oregon. So um when, uh, during the, we have a couple of very, very dry months out here. And during those, during that period, I will give water. And, um, some friends of mine that, um, a friend of mine, who's an Ocha initiate, she said, said that has taught me that, um, water is the purest gift you can give to the spirits. So that's the first thing I do is pour water to them. And then, um, if we've had a lot of rain recently, then I will give rice. Right. So, yeah, I give rice um, because it, you know, it feeds birds. It is not true that uh, rice will explode in birds' stomachs. That is not true. If that okay. were true, a lot of rice farmers would be cleaning up goose and duck and <laughs> bird carcasses off over their rice patties, which rice fields, which has not been the case. Um, the danger with rice and the reason people don't throw it at weddings anymore is that um, people can slip on it if it's on concrete. Oh. So it's, it's a tripping hazard. It's not a hazard to birds. And so I, but with that being in mind, I do throw it in the grass instead of on the patio so that there's no slippery slipping involved. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I will, um, I then try to go to my altar every morning. I have a central altar in what, um, in the center of our house. We have, uh, both my husband and I are devoted to the goddess Bridget, who her sacred area, um, according to Irish lore, would have been the hearth or the fireplace. Um, But, you know, especially in, you know, in the days long, days long gone, that would have been the center central place of heating and cooking and all of that. Of course, that's not the case anymore as, um, you know, we've all moved into the 21st century and we actually don't have a fireplace here, but Mm -hmm. we keep an altar to her in the center of our home. And I will light a candle to her. Um, I, I've gone through different, manifestations of what that ritual is. And sometimes it changes. 
So for a long time, I would sit with her for nine minutes. I would set a timer and um, just simply be present. That's changed a little bit. Um, I'm on some different medications to help me with sleep. So I sleep later than I used to. And because I work East Coast hours, I'm always quote unquote late for work. Um, So I don't always um, have the time to sit for nine minutes, but there will be something at the altar. Um, This morning, I drank my coffee while I was sitting there, just lit the candle and didn't, I didn't, you know, um, I asked this morning for compassion for others and also compassion for myself. And I'm teaching a class this afternoon on, on connecting with deities. So I asked for some guidance to be, um, is to be, to be the force that people needed me to be and to listen well. Mm. Um, Some mornings I light the candle and I pray for everybody that needs help. Um, Think of anybody that's asked for, I I also work in a lot of interfaith circles. Um, So my, (laughs) my job and role in this world is a very multifaceted. I have a Mercury and a Mars and Gemini. If we want to talk about astrology, which means I've got, (laughs) you know, my, my fingers in my head in a number of places. Um, And so sometimes it's praying for people that have asked for it. And sometimes it's, I light the candle and just walk away, but I always set a timer because I don't want to walk away and forget the candle and leave it burning. I, you know, that's, that's not safe. So um, that's part of this. It really shifts and depends on what the day calls for and what I need. And sometimes I feel like I need to sit there longer than others. Sometimes it involves making an offering, uh, making coffee or tea or, um, you know, on the weekends, if my husband and I are enjoying some beer or wine, sharing some of that with the altar as well. Um, and that's uh, Sundays. And I did not do it this past Sunday. And I regret that Sundays, I don't go to the goddess altar at all. And I go to my ancestors instead. Mm. And I spend Sunday morning with the ancestors. Um, I have a lot of Christian ancestors. And so Sunday being a very valuable time is has was a helpful thing as well. So it was often like make coffee, put coffee on the ancestor altar or shrine. I have two actually, one, one's a shrine and one's an altar. Um, and just sit with them. And um, as though I was sitting with you know relatives I hadn't seen in a while. And it's great with the ancestors because they've, they've they've left a lot of their preconceived notions about what you should be doing behind. Not all of them. Every once in a while that pops back up the old, the old stuff, but in general, they're not going to be as as anxious about what you're wearing or what you posted on social media and just more happy to see you. Yes. This is amazing. It sounds so amazing. And I love, I love that the very first thing that you're doing is you're making an offering. So you're kind of being in that vibration of, of giving, um, and then kind of going to, to your altar space and, and having that time for you, whether that's a personal kind of just connection or praying for other people. Um, and you've mentioned some interesting things. So you've mentioned kind of interfaith interdisciplinary kind of groups that you're a part of and your ancestors. And so kind of abiding by honoring Sunday as like a holy day and and connecting with them. So I have to ask, because I think that this topic, I just, I just like to talk about it. Um, the word, witch, as we know, kind of holds a lot of weight in our society. And even listeners who are listening to this might be like, well, what does that mean? But then she's like, got Christian things going on. Um, can you just talk to us a little bit about that word and how that word has become demonized perhaps um, and what it means to you to be a witch? Well, I mean, you're going to find witches or witchcraft in every single culture. There's all, whether it's, it, not everybody uses the term. So I don't want to sound like I'm applying this term 
to other cultures or to individuals who might not like that. So I just want to make that very, very clear. But this idea of there being um, the magical person, the person who is um, the one who's, you know, you've, you've, um, you, you've gone to the priest to pray and then you might go check out, see the tarot reader to find out, you know, do I need to do something else? Do I need to have a cleansing done? Do I need to do, or, you know, you've, you've prayed and you've done the things that, that, um, the church or the the mainstream religion in your area has told you to do, but then you're probably going to go see um, your weird aunt, you know, the next town over and get a love spell done. I mean, that's, that's part of culture. I think that's, you know, that's part of what we've um, had for a very long time. And I've always kind of been that for people. Um, I mean, I was the one who was drawing Ouija boards on notebook paper in the fourth grade, and we were doing seances on the playground, talking to dead, dead people, using my earring as a marker. Um, and that's like the kind of, you know, and I was the one who always had all the ghost stories. Most of them were the ones that my cousin gave me, and they were really super scary. Um, my parents still swear that the reason I'm into witchcraft, and as they say, the, the spooky, creepy stuff is because they let me read Stephen King as a kid. And I said, no, it was honestly because Cousin Mandy would tell me these terrifying find ghost stories as a kid, but I always wanted to know more. That's what was going on there. So you can blame her. <laughs> yeah. So that's been, um, and then, you know, it's, I went to um, a Catholic school um, and um, would just found myself far more drawn to tarot cards and crystals and incense and creating my own specific ritual and ritual space um, than I was within Catholicism. I mean, I didn't um, I liked the religion. I liked the, I liked the rituals and the antiquity of it. And, and to an extent, the sacraments and things, but as I grew older, I had, um, a harder time with, um, the limitations of one being, you know, born a cis woman and not being able to be in clergy and also the politics of what the church was at least at the time. And still to a large extent, things have changed slightly, but not not really anywhere near where I think they could be. Um, but um, with, you know, with, with, uh, with things like telling us um, how to vote without presenting a counter argument um, with, um, you know, with, I, I mean, I, I won't, I'll spare your listeners some of the details, but seeing what some of the links that some of my um, classmates went through to either prevent or terminate pregnancies on their own, um, because, you know, birth control, no, we weren't given proper education or access to birth control or, you know, those those kinds of things and um, not really practical information about a lot of the things that um, uh, were going on and, um, you know, having more an awareness of other people's, you know, of 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 queerness being natural and then the church mm -hmm. still saying it wasn't. It's just it was just things I couldn't stomach. And so I ended yeah. up. Um, reading more, I, I told people that I was developing my own religion called Courtneyism. And then when I started reading about witches and modern witchcraft, I went, oh, I don't actually have to invent that. That's what people already do. <laughs> um, and I, I joke because I liken it a little bit to when people come out of the closet and say, hey, I'm gay. And everyone goes, yeah, we knew. When I started telling people, hey, I'm a witch, they're like, yeah, we knew. Like <laughs> yeah. it was that other people knew it before I did, or they would give me books on witchcraft and go, well, you do this stuff, right? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, so that's, that's where that came from. So uh, one of the things that we do on my podcast, which is called that witch life is the first question we ask everybody is how did you know you were a witch? And the, um, 
responses vary. Some of it is people say that they've been having visits from spirits since they were children, which is something I did, I did and still do experience. Um, all the way people saying, I just always identify with Samantha on Bewitched. That just was who I really felt <laughs> I could connect with. And I said, all of that is valid, totally. Um, and so, you know, the the um, the modern feminist or the, I don't know if we can consider the 60s modern anymore, but the feminist movement has done a lot to reshape. I don't want to say reclaim because um, I don't think there was ever a time in which being a witch was a good thing until recently. Mm. Um, so there's been a lot of reshaping around that word and, um, you know, it, in giving people, um, giving people agency over what the dominant culture, which is, um, truly strongly shaped by big C Christianity. I'm not speaking mm-hmm. in all people's religions, but as much as talking about like the institution itself and the things that has, you know, it has, um, participated in that has hurt a lot of people. Um, so, but I mean, actually a lot of people who identify as Christian witches, I work with pastors in very large mainstream denominations who have altars and crystals and tarot cards and are sending me witchy emojis on the full moon. Cause they're going to go do something. So I'm like, yeah, you know, chances are good. Your pastor and I are in communication somehow about some ghosts they have in their house. Like, <laughs> no. uh, I mean, I think that this is, so I, I guess my question is, if you're into the tarot and crystals and the full moon and, you know, connecting to nature and, and maybe you've had some sort of experience with spirits and whatnot, are you a witch? You know, is, I mean, how do you, are you born a witch? Um, can anybody access their witchy powers of creating ritual and magic and ceremony? What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think it's like singing. Um, you know, there are some people who are born with just tremendous voices. We think about Mariah Carey. I mean, she has some kind of, as she has described, a freakish thing in her vocal cords mm-hmm. that allowed her. I, I think that I think the music industry has has worn her poor voice out. But for a long time, she could hit these kind of inhuman notes mm-hmm. um, because of just something you know, just something about the way she was born. Um, Barbara Streisand, because she has said it's because of her nose. She has more room in her, um, in what people say, the mask of her face. So she has more, you know, a vocal range um, due to that. And so these are people that were simply born with a gift and also got some training as well. And then you meet some people who um, are born with, uh, they sound fine, but you would never think that you would, they would be a vocal prodigy or anything like that. Um, and, but with some practice and some proper training, they do very well. And then there's some people who it's, it's, uh, I don't think it's ever, they're never going to be the one who's going to be asked to solo, uh, at, or, you know, encouraged to get up at karaoke, but they could bust out happy birthday. And they probably have one karaoke number where they sound, they, they sound all right. You know, it's, it's, um, it, it really varies for people. I, Mm. I, I personally, if the person accepts this term as a witch, um, anyone who is using energy and basically casting spells, creating magic, um, if I would consider that person a witch. Now I say I consider that, but don't like name that because there are a lot of cultures where that what we would consider spell casting is certainly part of the culture, but the idea of being a witch would be very offensive. So Right. I've, I've said, you know, I would welcome that person or those people if they said, I am what you are, I'd say, great. Um, where I draw the line and where I say, I don't think that's witchcraft is when um, 
it's simply used for feminism or for art um, or for anything that is counter patriarchy. That work is all really important. I make that very clear when I meet people that are very much about body positivity and reclaiming this, reclaiming feminine power and, you know, smashing patriarchal ideas. That's all great stuff. I don't consider it witchcraft unless there's actually magic being cast. If magic's not being cast um, and the term witch is, um, you know, is being used just as a, as a marker that's giving the finger to a patriarchal system, I'm not offended by that. I don't think that they're you know, taking something away from me or mis misusing it. I just don't think that the term is correct. I, okay. say, I don't think yeah. that's what you're doing. I'm not mad about it, but <laughs> I don't think that's, I, I just, I draw a line somewhere. Absolutely. And that comes with, with casting it. So that's where it is. And again, it's, it's like, if somebody is casting spells and embraces the term, which I agree with them. I'm like, yeah, that's, I'm totally in, but I'm not going to go around and label someone a witch. Of because course. That's not, that's not what some folks do. You know, well, and labels are, I feel like labels are very, um, they're up right now. You know, people are, are talking about labels and, um, and I always just like to kind of get a sense on how the term is used. And of course, recognizing in my own life, how that word for me personally, in my upbringing was like, not a good word, right? Like if you right. were a witch, that's not a good thing. And so I like to just explore my own kind of conditioning and connection to that word and then talk to experts about well, why, why did that happen? And of course we can have a whole history lesson, but I, we, we won't go there of, of why there's that negative connotation around somebody who is working with magic um, in this way. I do want to ask you kind of to share with us, you know, what was the, what was your first experience like actually casting a spell or working with magic? Were you very little when this happened for the first time for you? Can you I was, that? yeah. And it's, it was really interesting. It, um, you know, I, I was, um, actually such a devout little Christian girl, um, and prayed every single night. And there were sometimes I was really afraid of God. Um, and more than that, I was afraid of, of demons and I was afraid of hell and I was afraid of all that stuff and everything felt so close. Um, but one thing I always felt comfortable doing and found these really remarkable results was when I would talk to my departed ancestors, mm. Um, so I actually want to get something, hold on. Mm -hmm. So this little dove yeah. was, um, came from my grandfather's funeral. He passed away when I was seven or eight around then. And, um, somebody bought a, um, flower arrangement from the grandkids. None of us were old enough to actually purchase it. And, um, my mom must have told me I could take it home because she was pretty observant and I wasn't a very good thief. So, <laughs> so she doesn't remember if she told me I could. Um, I don't remember, but it, this came off of that flower arrangement. And I've, I've had it with me ever since and it's, it stays on my ancestor altar. But I remember, I don't remember what I, so, <laughs> okay, let's just also show my age. I had a cassette tape of Whitney Houston um, I want to dance with somebody. I think that was the album. And I listened classic. to it every Saturday morning. You had that one too? No, but I know that's a good classic. It was a good classic. That was like Saturday morning dancing in the bedroom with the stuffed animals. Um, and for those of you that had cassette tapes, they were the absolutely worst way to listen to music of all time. There's a reason why records have come back and cassette tapes never have is because the tape would get all twisted. And mm -hmm. you know, there was like this, this plastic backing in the, the um, cassette tape. And if you like rewound it too fast, it would actually get 
tangled up in the plastic backing. So you have to like, yeah, well, even when you did that, but you couldn't get it out. I mean, this was how, you know, you, it was like, so this tape got wrapped in the plastic backing within this tape. So it wasn't going to play. And I remember it was sitting there by the phone and I don't remember what happened, but, um, my, uh, my mom was at the grocery store or whatever. And I was just sitting there in the living room by myself. And I just remember asking my pop if he was close by and if he was, could he send me a sign? And immediately the phone rang and I picked up the phone and it was a dial tone. Like, and I'll never forget the, the, the presence of, of something was there and it was big and like his spirit was so large and I didn't know what to do with that. Um, but then what was weird and people just don't see it is that the tape was fixed. Like after that, like something happened, it was almost like it, I've learned that this is often happens in magic is that you get a sign and then you get a confirmation sign. So you're like, was this a coincidence or not? But like that tape was sitting right by the phone. And then when I picked it up, like an hour later, that tape was no longer twisted behind the plastic backing. Let me tell you, my parents did not know how to fix that kind of thing. Okay. Like I got my dad, this box, this, like this man box that you get was full of snacks and it comes with a crowbar and you're supposed to open it. He couldn't figure that out. He eventually (laughs) took it out into the front yard and smashed it with a hammer. He was so mad. And so he doesn't do this stuff. And my mom certainly doesn't do it. So nobody in the house would have been able to fix this tape, but it was fixed like right after that experience. Um, so that told me that there was something going on. Yes. Um, and I think it was that desire to understand what it was Mm -hmm. that, um, really led me into this path and meeting so many people who have had those kinds of experiences. And even like, I'll never forget this was so beautiful. It was about two years ago. I was in Detroit. I was giving a lecture on the Morgan and this beautiful, crone walks up to me after at the end of the class she had to have been at least 70 years old snow white hair and she had tears in her eyes and she said i just realized in your class that i'm a witch oh and it just it just all clicked with her right then and there whatever her journey had taken her she had never either had the time or opportunity to put a name to herself that way yeah you know Oh, what an amazing experience to be 70 and to have that realization. Oh, I love that. You know, I've had similar experiences, um, with creating offerings in, in our garden, because I like to invite the fae and the magic of kind of the fairies to be with us. Um, and so I'm always offering little offerings out there. And I remember going out in the morning to kind of check to see cause, cause mushrooms would be popping up. And I just felt like it was a very magical area, whether it's actually land spirits or the Fae, I am still not quite sure, but I would just go out there and I'd make it a thing and I'd put, you know, fresh cream or give a little offering. And the next day I remember going out there and there was a little stone that was like a heart shaped stone. And it was like turquoise. Like it wasn't like a natural color stone and it was literally like a little heart. And I remember looking at it and going, oh my gosh, you know, somebody did, did my husband put like plant that there? Cause he knows that I'm all into it and, and he's, he's into it too. But I thought, no, surely somebody must've planted that little stone there for me. And nope, nobody did. And so that to me was just a little bit of like, oh, you know, I don't have to know exactly what it is, who it is, how it happened. But for me, that, that, that was just so 
exciting, you know, that we can connect to, to this other realm of being, you know, and, and my background obviously has been in the corporate world for a very long time and, you know, magic and this side of existing was not supported in, in that world. And so I just, I like to encourage all listeners to make an offering to the land or, you know, like you had said, ask for a sign. Like, I think that's kind of a cool little approach. If somebody who's listening to this is kind of interested in maybe connecting to an ancestor to do, to do just that, ask for a sign or get really quiet and see if you can connect because, and then just be open. Cause it's amazing what happens like your cassette tape being fixed. Like what? I know. Right. There's like little, little things that, that pop up like that. That's kind of in, um, I think I can tell the story because my, um, my co-host has shared it publicly. There's always like a little confirmation that comes along. She was been trying to buy a house and, um, was, was struggling because the housing market up here has gotten a little crazy. And like the last time she was outbid by like $150,000, like something ridiculous. And so she didn't get the two houses she tried to get. And the third one she went to, it just felt so right. And she had been, um, you know, talking to her departed mother a lot and, you know, the spirit of her mom and like, can you, you know, can you please lead me to where I'm supposed to go? Well, on her, what would have been her mother's birthday, she toured this house and it was really beautiful and it was really right for her. And she wrote and wrote in her offer letter to the, um, the sellers and said, Hey, you know, ever since my mom died, I wanted to buy a home. Um, and since, um, you know, I actually towards your home, what, what would have been her birthday? Well, the, she, her offer was accepted. And when she did the walkthrough for the inspection, there was a letter there from the seller who said, I just want you to know my birthday is the same birthday as your mom's. And so, and, and, you know, whether you could look at that as to say this person felt kinship with her, compassion with her, I say, I'm sure there was something to that. But I also think the fact that she toured it on her mom's birthday, which also happened to be the seller's birthday, it, and also the fact that I could just see this woman, her, I mean, I knew this, this woman very well. I'm like, yeah, if she were to, but it's like outright buy you a house, this literally would have been the house. Cause it's so pretty. <laughs> this woman was very into pretty things. She things had to be very pretty. And so uh, she bought her this pretty, like got wow. her, helped her get to this very pretty house. And, you know, she, um, her offer, like there were cash offers that went in and there were offers that were higher, but they wanted to sell it to her. Wow. And it, I really feel like her, mom was present there. And that's where I feel like the signs are. I feel like signs are clearer when they come from ancestors and from say land spirits. Okay. Because, um, you know, land spirits are very different everywhere you go. Um, Mm. you know, the ones that are in my area are very quiet and kind of shy. Um, but they're generally very kind. Yeah. Very, they're very kind. Um, I've had dreams where, where beings I can only consider land spirits have come up and hugged me. Oh, you know, um, and shortly after I started making the land spirit offering, I had a dream about, um, the spirit of a volcano in Hawaii. I've never been to Hawaii. And she said to, but I'd been in communication with a Hawaiian woman the day before, but then in, in the dream, the woman said, I want to introduce you to my sister. And she introduced me to a woman, a native woman who was wearing what I would consider Pacific Northwest regalia. And I'm like, well, that's strange. But then when I woke up, I'm like, well, the volcanoes in Oregon and in Hawaii are on the same plate. 
you know, they're all part of the ring of fire. So, well, that makes sense. And so I felt like they're, that that was the way the land spirits were saying, hello, nice to meet you too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had dreams since then, um, you know, one of that woman and then of other other um, women that, or other men as well, just being just very nice and very kind. Um, not like say, you know, here, take all the blessings and oh, you are special and blah, blah, blah. just more like, it's really nice to meet you. Just kind of like the way a friendly neighbor might be. Um, when I was living in New York City, I was living in Inwood, which is the very, very top of Manhattan Island, right next to what is the left of natural forest. But a lot of people don't realize this, but the very, very top of Manhattan, there's a park that is full, has old growth trees in there. It was These trees were never cut down. It was never made into farmland, and then it was never paved. So you can actually see what the island looked like Wow. Or it became the city and the land spirits are very much alive, but they are not really fond of people. Yeah. Um, they're very old. First of all, very, very old. They're older than the Lenape who, you know, had been there for a good 15,000 years before, you know, the, the Dutch and later the English came. Um, but they, um, they, they're not, I, I don't know if they were ever fond of people, but I know they're not yeah. fond of people now. Yeah. And so I, you know, would basically just go up there and be like, listen, I'm just here. I'm not going to do you any harm. You know, please don't, don't bother me. I won't bother you. We're good. Like I didn't even try to become besties because everybody yeah. that I would know that would try to go up there and be like, land spirits, I want to honor you would have something scary happen. Mm. You know, that they would, they would suddenly feel very frightened or they'd have a vision of something very scary. And then they're like, oh, these land spirits. I'm like, yeah, they're not, they're not into you. They're not into you. They're just not into you, <laughs> you know? What would you say for a listener who's like, well, you know, I, I have some land that I live on, right. That is my property, whether it's a garden or whether it's just a couple potted plants on your balcony, you know, what if somebody was interested in connecting to their, their land and kind of honoring it? Would, would you recommend that people could do that? Not knowing if the spirits might be good or bad? Um, well, I wouldn't even call them good or bad because I don't think that they operate under the same any kind of the same moral compass that we do. I would say that they sure. I would say they'd be more more open or um, you know, because I don't I do not think the spirits of Manhattan Island are bad. I just don't think they want anything to do with humans. You know, yeah, they're just they've they've had some experiences, they're not happy, they want to be left alone. I, that's fair, you know. Yep. And <laughs> they we all look alike to them. They're like, you're a human. I don't care if you think you're a good human, you're still a human, leave me alone. Mm. Um you know, I would um, I would start by knowing more about the history of your area. Who was there first? Mm, yes. Why aren't they Why aren't they there now? Mm-hmm. Um, so, understanding the history, understanding the topography, what changes have happened to the land um, in the United States? Certainly, you know, with with few exceptions, certainly changes have happened. Um, and then looking at the plants and things that are on your property, and asking yourself, are these plants um, in harmony with the natural rhythms of my area, or are they not? I mean, I've, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll read the saga of me versus the heavenly bamboo, which, um, somebody planted this bamboo along the side of my house, probably a good 10, 15 years ago when it was considered the cool thing to do. Cause it grows wow. easy. And that's terribly invasive. I mean, it's not a bad plant, um, where, where, you know, I'm not sure where heavenly bamboo originates. I'm sure that it's great for the ecosystem and it's an origin space, but it is not good for the ecosystem out here. I mean, the, mm. um, the wood, if uh, I have to make sure all the wood is out of the backyard because my dog chews on it and there's cyanide in it. And then the red berries um, are attractive to birds. 
but um, they can either sicken the birds or the birds then, you know, make deposits in our forests and transmit the seeds. And this bamboo grows in thickets and will essentially cover areas where natural foliage needs to go. Well, that's going to impact the insect population, um, the small animal population, and and then the animals of prey. Everybody's going to suffer. So one of the things that I have been doing, and I've been receiving some messages lately from the earth spirits, they want me to do more of it, is um, restoring as much of the native plants on my property as I can, especially mm-hmm. plants that support the pollinators. Yes. Um, so, I mean, in fact, I think it's okay to say this, like I a, 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 had a dream um, just the other night about um, a woman who I believe was one of the native spirits around here or the, the um, land spirits, and she was wearing a dress made of butterflies. And um, what I took from that dream is, um, and also there, were, there, was cons- there was a warning about some wasps and then there was, there was concern about the butterflies. So I feel like that there's a, she's wanting me to pay attention to both the wasp and the butterfly population mm. around here and, and offer what labor I can to support the butterflies and the wasps. There may be, maybe there's an invasive species of wasp coming or the wasps in my area are, you know, behaving badly. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, there was, there was some very specific symbolism about butterflies and wasps. Yeah. And so um, I need to, um, you know, work on, on those things. So, I mean, it, Honestly, I feel like getting in, in touch with um, um, land spirits is incredibly practical work. Yeah. You know, what's invasive in your area and what can be left alone? I mean, I really encourage people, let your dandelions grow. It's, they're so good for the bees. Mm-hmm. I went out and bought a sign, much to my husband's chagrin. We have art, we have not arguments, but tug of war over the state of the dandelions in our property because <laughs> I would just let them go and have a big sign that says, pardon the weeds, I'm feeding the bees. And I stick it out up front, like, don't complain about my dandelions. And I see people stop and smile when they see it. Now, I'm nice. And if somebody on my block puts their house up for sale, I will mow them down until the house is sold. I'm not going to be, I'm I'm going to, I want them to do well with with their house. The good news is dandelions come back really fast. So yeah, (laughs) but um, I love it. Yeah, It's just, just, those are some very simple things you can do, but I feel like before you start, your day or before, maybe it's the last thing you do at night, but I like doing it first thing in the morning, um, is that you make an offering. Yeah. Um, and the offering doesn't have to be water or rice. It can also be picking up trash or pulling out weeds or, um, you know, I think that they like music. Um, they might appreciate some song, but the gifts that you receive when you do that kind of work, um, are very subtle, but they're very beautiful. Like, cause I've been doing this for almost a year now and I've been able to not just see the change of the seasons, but smell them. I notice the different smells in the air before dawn. And, um, you know, once there were some geese that were flying over my, my property and they were flying so low, I could hear their wings on the wind. Aww. So those are some of the things that you start to, to gain um, when, you, when you do this kind of work. Um, but I think just being very practical and um, I mean, they know, they see you, if you're out there trying to get rid of Himalayan blackberry, so you can plant whatever is native to your area instead, they see you, they know what you're doing. Right. Oh, yeah. I love that. And you know, you've mentioned a couple of things that I just want to ask a little bit more about. You've referenced your dreams quite a lot, mm-hmm. like where you're getting information during your dreams. So it sounds like you're a very active dreamer. Is that predominantly where you're kind of connecting or getting your messages or are you doing that in other ways as well? Um, 
Anymore, I predominantly get them that way. When I was younger and I didn't have as many obligations, I think my eyes were a little more open. So I was seeing them in a lot of different ways. But I think just right now, just being a busy working 30 something, you don't, they think that, and also I've just kind of made the agreement with the spirits um, that the best way to get my attention is through a dream. And it's also, I mean, I suspect it may just, it may be something that's in my family. Um, my mom's family is um, Southern Baptist largely, and they're all from, you know, the foot of the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina. So there's this tradition of accepting and understanding that there's a spirit world, but not really talking about it. And there's, you know, there's been, um, I've, you know, read and heard a lot about people that what they call dream true. So people that have, you know, are able to receive messages and things in their dreams. It just, um, I don't know that it's specific to the region that I'm from originally or that my family's from, but I think that it's common. Yeah. yeah. I just, I have never been a very active dreamer and I've, I always, I've had separate conversations with different guests on the show about dreaming, what you can do to like really turn on your dream time. And um, so I just found that interesting that you kept referencing, you keep getting all these signs and messages in your dreams. And it's still something that, you know, sometimes before bed, I'll just make the intention, like I'm going to dream tonight and I'm going to remember my dreams in the morning. And then I wake up and it's like nothing. And I'm like, oh, you mm-hmm. know, um, but I just, I love that you're connecting in, in your dream time. Um, I do want to shift gears a little bit and talk about Bridget and how you devoted yourself to her work, how you kind of became introduced to her. I know a lot of the listeners are really into a lot of the Celtic goddesses, um, which I know you're an expert in. So maybe you could just first start by saying who is Bridget and why are you committed to her work? Well, um, so Bridget has a very diverse background. Um, She is largely associated with Ireland, although there are some manifestations of her in um, in Scotland, in England, um, in Wales, and in different um, connotations like that. Um, It's you know, it's often argued that she was a goddess first and later became a saint. And some say she was a saint first, and then was later just understood to be a goddess. And as uh, one of my Irish priestess friends says, it doesn't really matter. You know, mm-hmm. she's, she is who she is. And um, she walks in a lot of different worlds in that way. Um, looking at her as um, a goddess, she was believed to be three goddesses, three identical sisters. Um, the, the, the poet or um, the, um, the smith worker and the healer. So um, in some stories, she was part of the original um, she was part of the she was part of the group of beings called the Tuatha who came to Ireland and essentially conquered it, um, and then she married. She ultimately married her people's enemy as a peacekeeping agreement, um, and it went very badly. And she ended up suffering quite a bit as a result of of her husband and her son's misdeeds um, and against her own people. So she was someone who, as a goddess, was definitely caught. Um, in some very difficult places. And, and although they don't really follow her story as to what she experienced, I think a lot of times we've, we've um, most, most people, especially, um, you know, people who identify as women under, you know, you find yourself um, in some powerless situations and being the one who suffers as a result of other people's choices. And, um, you know, it's a painful reality. And then, but as a, as a saint, 
Um, she acts very much like the old Celtic goddesses, including sometimes she could um, scream and screech and chase um, chase invaders away, which is something that um, in some of the older mythologies, you find the Irish and other Celtic goddesses doing that very thing. Um, she was always one for sticking it to the Catholic church. So, you know, when bishops would be greedy or rich people would be greedy, um, she would essentially trick them and basically bring them to their knees and make them beg to, you know, please leave me alone, Bridget. I'll give you whatever you want. I'll feed the poor and I'll be good. And um, she was very focused on caring for the sick. Uh, she did not like cruelty or injustice and was very quick to punish people who were um, who were being mean to others. <laughs> yeah. uh, she was very kind to animals, um, really had no patience for uh, people who wouldn't share with the poor. You know, that one of her most famous uh, mythologies and, you know, it's also thought that she might have been um, a historical person, that she was a nun um, who actually might have been a druidess um, and then actually became a bishop. So there's there's some very interesting history there. There's one story in that for for a long time, um, the spot in Kildare which means Church of the Oak is in um, Central Ireland, is where her um, her church and her original shrine was. And it was believed that um, 19 priestesses would tend this flame in honor of Bridget or the regional goddess, whatever your, your interpretation is. I'm sorry, is that mine or yours that's beeping? Is that mine? I think it might be you. Let me see if I can get rid of that. I'm so I sorry. I couldn't even hear anything. I can just hear my dog dreaming down, <laughs> down here. Yeah. Sorry. No, it's my co-host on my podcast wanting things <laughs> you. yeah and that it was believed that this um this perpetual flame was tended every night fed only with oak leaves wood and acorn which was considered a sacred tree to the druids and that is was a place of great healing and then the legend was that the high priestess of this shrine converted it to a catholic shrine and she herself became a catholic and that quote unquote, she was read the wrong ritual and was made a bishop when she was just supposed to be made a nun, but is actually a modern day Catholic nun told me in the earliest days of the Catholic church, women could become bishops. It wasn't until about 1200 uh -huh. where they, they, you know, decided, look, Catholicism is too diverse across Europe and other parts of the world. Let's set down the rules, including women don't be bishops. So there's a good 1200 year history where women in some cases could become bishops, especially in areas where women did hold more priestess type rules. Mm. Uh, and so uh, we, we, and so then this historical bishop um, received a lot of the mythology surrounding the mythological St. Bridget, which is very much uh, has quite a bit of, um, of what very much feels like pre-Christian Irish lore attached to it. So she's a very powerful being. Um, mm. the, the, when I say poet, smith worker and healer, it's, um, it's so much to unpack about what that actually means. Um, there's, I don't think it can really give full credit to what the power of spoken word even means now to the modern day Irish, but certainly what it meant mm. um, to you know early medieval or um, Iron Age Ireland, where it was really believed that you could speak something into being just by yes. saying to someone, you know, your hair is going to fall out. They would that meant that it would happen certainly. Yep. Um, and then also um, because the Celts did not keep written records, everything was um, was preserved by oral tradition. You have the understanding of the spoken and everything. A lot of things were kept in poetic verse mm -hmm. as a way to um, 
keep things from being edited and people putting their own spin on things. Cause it's just like, you can't improvise Shakespeare. Right. Right. You know? And there's a reason for that. And there's a reason why this, so the idea of the poet is not, Oh, cause she writes poetry. It's literally, it is the mechanism for preserving history and for making powerful change. And still to this day, the idea of when somebody um, is like, when someone is called a satirist, which in Ireland, which is, is basically like, you know, coming down with a condemnation of, of an injustice on a societal level. Um, it, it's an incredibly powerful thing. And, and when you go to, when you go to Ireland, um, if somebody decides to sing or tell a poem, tell a story, which is usually in poetic voice, everybody in the pub has to hush. Wow. Somebody, somebody feels moved to sing or speak. Shh, 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 doesn't matter if they're three tables over, we all have to be quiet and listen. Yeah. So it's very, it's a very, very powerful um, tradition that I'm certainly not doing proper justice to in just this little bit of time that we have. And the same thing with smithworking. Smithworking really represents revolutionary technology um, because we would not have had an industrial revolution without smithworking. There w- would have been no Celtic civilization without smithworking. That mm-hmm. was literally the, the, um, um, the inheritance of the technology, which they got from um, East Asia, by the way. So they were not isolated people. They certainly, so this, this, even back then, the Celts were inheriting things from other parts of the world to build their civilization. Um, they, um, they, they really weren't a civilization that we would recognize before that. But once they had the, the, um, the ability to you know, work with iron ore, they could make nails, they could build better houses, they could build chariots, they could build Mm. better weaponry, like all of these things. So, I mean, we don't really have a modern parallel for one specific invention changing the world the way that it did. Maybe the, someday the internet will be considered that way, but, um, which is why it's it's interesting where I've, I've met some, um, some coders who are very dedicated to Bridget, they go, this makes sense. It is a kind of poetry you know, yeah. the written word and it's revolutionary technology. I'm like, yeah, I think today Bridget would very likely be a coder. I mean, and, and or an engineer, like a, my, my friend, uh, uh, Orla Minxie Costello, who writes, um, who writes a wonderful blog on Bridget, um, is herself an engineer. And part of her, her work is to get more people into engineering. And I'm like, well, that's Bridget work right there. I mean, you're, it's inventing things and it's yeah. women that invent things. I mean, yes, yes. Yeah. Yes. So that's, um, and then naturally healing is, is yep. certainly, um, a huge part of that as well. And that's a lot, I believe connected to the, 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 of the sacred waters, which, um, water was considered such a powerfully magical healing force. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, there's still so many, many different wells, um, hundreds of different, uh, magical wells in Ireland and in the rest of the Celtic world that, um, are often now called holy wells, but they do the same thing. They heal Oh yeah. Yep. I've had my fair share of experiencing. Um, I had a very, very interesting time. The first time I went to Ireland, which is in 2018. And I went to a couple different sacred sites and I think I've shared this on other episodes, but I had like a, a, I can't, I mean, I can't even describe in words like the experience that I had, but it was completely physical. Um, I was bleeding. I was vomiting. I was like having this whole existence um, uh, at one of these sacred sites. And then I remember the next day, finally being able well enough to kind of go to the well that was like on the itinerary for the next day. And I just remember the well being like, I was just, I just wanted the well water on me. You know, it was like, it was healing almost. It it was healing. Um, But yeah, I can, I'll share that story. And another time I do want to ask, was she also a midwife? Yes. 
Okay. And then there's a strong connection to fertility as well. There was a strong connection to fertility and, um, but it's, uh, you know, the, um, fertility goddesses, as we see them today, um, were very different back in the iron age. And I don't think we really have the proper context for what a fertility Mm -hmm. goddess was. And I say that a lot with different goddesses from different cultures, Mm -hmm. Um, fertility goddesses were, could be very fickle you know, um, and they could be very cruel and, you know, they, they were very as much about a mourning as they were about celebration. Now you go into a new age store and you see a fertility goddess and she looks sweet and happy. And I'm like, mm. Mm, that's a pretty new thing. Cause we have a lot more, uh, medical intervention and different nutrition. And it's, it's a very different world than what the original fertility goddess meant, but she was a lot about, um, helping um, bring babies into the world. And I think a lot of that had to do with her connection um, to the beginning of Irish springtime, which was an Imolk um, beginning of February. And that's a time when um, the, uh, the sheep and the cows would often calve mm-hmm. um, or you know, they would give birth to lambs. And so they were lactating. And so there would be more fresh food. And so a lot of families planned their pregnancies around these births. So if, um, if someone became pregnant in early May, then they were likely to give birth in early February. So they could, um, they could work through the summer, they could help bring in the harvest. And during the time when they're biggest and would have the hardest time moving around, everybody's just basically sitting by the fire anyway, waiting for springtime. And then if they give birth at the same time that these animals do that are, that are milk producing animals, then they themselves have more food and they themselves are producing more milk and their babies are more likely to survive. So all of these really sweet and loving thoughts come from some very practical things, probably inspired by many generations of heartbreak of the timing, not being right. Oh yeah. So it's, it's, um, so that's part of where I think that her association with midwifery and fertility really comes from her association with the early spring. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. For this in bulk this year, um, I was reading your book at the time and I was acquainting myself with her. And so I did do my own little ritual on the 1st of February to just introduce myself to her, you know, to, mm-hmm. to acquaint myself, to welcome her into my life. And, um, I know in your, in your book, you suggest making like the Bridget's crosses. I didn't do that, but I did find a nice cloth, like a little white cloth. And I put that outside, yeah. um, knowing that maybe if she came by, she would bless the little sacred cloth that I have that I keep my tarot cards wrapped up in. Um, and did some offerings for her and, and had a little altar, you know, with her picture on it. And that was my first time kind of getting to know her. And then fast forward to the end of February, I was in Mexico and I was laying on the beach and I was reading, still reading the book. And the part about where you were welcoming in Bridget. uh, to receive inspiration from Mm -hmm. Bridget, the bard, I ended up reciting that out loud. Like all my friends are like, they have no idea that I did this while I was down there, but I was, I was working my magic while I was laying on the beach. I, um, I recited all of the beautiful phrases that you have in the book, welcoming her in. And then I think for the last one, I like went into the sacred waters, right? I went into the, the ocean and did like a little dunk under, as I was kind of inviting her in to, to be inspirational in my life. Um, and I just wanted to share that because I found it so oh, inspiring. That's wonderful. And, Thank you for telling me that. Yeah. And the book, you know, has just so many, um, 
um, things that you can do, like rituals that you can do. So for the last kind of couple minutes that we have together, I would love for you, cause I love being inspired, you know, listening to podcast episodes. Um, maybe you can share one ritual for our listeners. Either you can talk about maybe like if you have a creative block, what you can do if you have a creative block, maybe a ritual for abundance, um, and maybe one for fertility. So any one of those, if you think kind of be a fun one for anybody to try, you know, one of my most successful creativity spells was one of the first ones I did with Bridget, which was, um, I took some cinnamon and put it in oil. Some people might use cinnamon oil, but cinnamon oil can burn you. So I don't really recommend it, but like cinnamon and olive or mineral oil. And I anointed a red candle with it. And, um, I, put the, as I anointed it, I direct the energy toward my, my forehead for creative inspiration and then burn the candle and was asking for some assistance. Um, I did make a promise to her. I promised her that I would write a book for her mm-hmm. in exchange if she could help me with this college project writing project I was working on. No way. Um, I did. And I promptly forgot my promise and then spent <laughs> the next 10 years wondering why my writing career was going nowhere. Um, and then when I remembered I owed her a book, I oh wrote that gosh. one. And then things have been a lot better ever since. Yeah. Wow. Well, and that's, how, that's what I'm feeling. She's like, you know, she yeah. is, yes, there. And that's why I was very, um, I don't want to say timid, but I was very respectful going into like meeting and connecting with her and, and, you know, I wasn't welcoming her in for anything until like, I felt like there was a reciprocity there um, mm-hmm. because I get the sense that she's a little firecracker too. You know, she's going to yeah. hold well, you I mean, I would, I would agree with that. But also when you look at the Celtic mythology, it's full of stories in which the, um, the, the gods and goddesses get angry because a mortal, you know, broke an oath. Yeah. So I, I don't think there's any reason to be, um, to be worried. I think it's just a matter of like, if you, you know, buy, if you want to buy something, you should pay for it. That's like the, that's the right. oath that we have when we go into a store. So don't, don't buy something you can't, you don't have the money for, mm-hmm. you know, or, and um, I mean, yeah, of course we have credit cards and things, but that's all, that's a, that's a tricksty being that credit card thing. And so, yes. it kind of, so if you want to help ask a God or goddess for some help, you know, just make sure you keep your end of the bargain. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that they are super, you know, like I'm, I'm not going to do this big thing for you because your offering is too small. Um, that's not, I don't think they see it that way. I mean, certainly the amount of work I put into the book was certainly a lot more than the inspiration for writing one short story, but that's not what this was about. She's like, you promised me a book, so I need you to write one. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like, well, but it was just a short story. I don't care what it just was. We had an agreement. Yeah. You know, so that's, that's it. So just keep it. I mean, maybe it's like leaving her tea for a week. Mm-hmm. You know, and so make her a tea cup when you make your coffee or your tea in the morning, make a second cup for her. I just say, keep it, keep it reasonable. Yeah. You know, your commitments. And if you want to do something bigger then do something bigger, but I'd say, start small, figure out yes. what you, how good, not to say how good you are, but how, what kind of room you have in your life to keep certain commitments. Right. Cause it's yeah. almost like you have to keep it alive. You can't just like one day, you know, on February 1st, kind of like I, what I've done, if I was to be completely candid, right. you know, welcome her in, connect with her on February one, then continue to, you know, welcome her in, in Mexico and do these little blessings and, um, you know, diving under the water and calling her in for inspiration in my life and then not doing anything. 
you know, yeah. so thank you for the reminder that this is part of your daily practice where you're making a cup of tea for her as an offering um, yeah. to kind of keep that relationship alive and thriving. Mm-hmm. So I will be doing that tomorrow morning. Thank you. You're <laughs> um, any other, anything else on your heart really that you want to share or anything else that you feel like needs to come forward at this time? Any other rituals or blessings or offerings for our listeners? You know, I, I would say just, um, I, I worry that people sometimes either take on too much or they're critical of their choices in it. Like anything else, start small. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's no reason why when you're, if you wanted to pick up the violin, why you have any reason to think that you could play with the orchestra. I mean, no, I can't imagine anybody putting that kind of pressure on themselves. Yeah. It's something simple and then get more complicated as you go on. Yeah. There's no reason. Yeah. There's no reason to put those, those kinds of things on yourself. So yeah. Give yourself grace to start simply. I love that. Yes. Thank you for that reminder. Cause I feel like some of us are always holding ourselves to such a high standard and it's like, let's just take it easy. It's it's just, it's honestly, it's no different than learning a new instrument. There is no reason to think that you, you know, yeah, you want to practice regularly. Sometimes you're going to miss it. Sometimes you're going to go a couple days without it, but you're going to get stronger with it if you do it regularly. Yeah. Beautiful. I love that. Thank you for ending on that beautiful high note and reminder for us all. If you guys enjoyed today's episode, I really encourage you to check out what Courtney has to offer at her website. So you can check that out at www.courtneyaweber.com. And of course, if you're interested in learning about any of the goddesses that she's studying and writing so beautifully about, um, like she mentioned, anywhere you purchase your books, likely your local metaphysical stores. We like to support small business. Yes, you can please pick, do. You can pick one up. Um, you know, we have a couple metaphysical stores around here and I was just like, how are they surviving through a lot of pandemic. online orders, a lot oh. of online orders. So definitely check out these stores. Most yeah. of them are shipping right now. Okay, good. That's a great reminder. Thank you, Courtney. You were wonderful. Thank you My so pleasure. much for all the work that you're great. doing in the world. Thank you. I think we can all agree that this year and last year has been challenging. I have certainly missed real in-person connection and travel. And that's why my beloved mentor, Marcy Tellender, and I have put together the Glamoury Retreat, the secret priestess path of ageless beauty and wisdom, a sacred retreat for women in all phases of the moon and all phases of life. Hosted in the beautiful Crested Butte, Colorado, starting August 13th, 2021. So if you've been craving time in nature or time surrounded by a tribe of like-minded sisters, enjoying maybe beautiful, delicious, organic food together, doing yoga and Pilates by the river, and if you're drawn to exploring the priestess arts, so things like divination, scrying, creating herbal tinctures, connecting more deeply to nature, to yourself and others, and experiencing many sacred rituals and ceremonies, then this retreat is for you. If you'd like to learn more, visit returnofritual.com forward slash retreats. And as a thank you for listening to the Return of Ritual podcast, we are offering all listeners an additional $200 off. So use the promo code podcast at checkout, and we can't wait to see you there. Space is limited to 13 beautiful women, so reserve your spot today.